Hi. How you guys doing? I hope you had an amazing week. I hope you did. Weekend's coming. It's coming fast. I'm passing hard. And I hope you guys are ready for it. I'm ready for it. For me, it's the middle of my week. It's technically like my, my work Wednesday. And I'm off on Fridays. And I have to work two days. And then take a day off. And I have two days. A little long shifts. I actually took a day off this week. Took a, took a mental health day. <laughs> I says, oh, first it's Godzilla. Now a different monster. Run! Ah, whoops. Oh, it's just Jim. <laughs> I get it, though. I do need to chin the beard. It's getting out of control. Bad. Like, I was eating yesterday, and the mustache was getting inside my mouth, and I was pulling my lip down when closing my mouth. You know? It was pretty bad. Pretty bad. It's all right, though. I'll survive. I will survive. Fine. I took a mental health day on. On Wednesday, I just was not with it. I was like, you know what? I'm not going to run the risk of taking out my weird mood on some hapless customer. I will just do nothing. And I did. I did nothing. Uh, I watched a lot of YouTube. Um, I see a sexy cat next to the cup. Oh, the Garfield. Yeah. <laughs> I was like... First of all, Brim's on here. Second of all, Brim's not sexy. He's a jerk off. I'm like, none of my cups are on camera. And I look, uh, let's see what he's doing. I'll get it now. Uh. How you doing, Adam? Welcome back to the stream, pal. Good to see you. Um, so I decided that what I'm going to start doing to lower the pressure of, of figuring out topics and whatnot is... um. To kind of theme out the show a little bit. So, for the foreseeable future, and Troy probably knows that I say that shit a lot, and then shit changes like the next week. But, I think I want to keep the metal, the, the guide to metal, on Fridays. And I want to keep the more cerebral topics, the more psychological stuff, like the stuff that I'm, a lot of people call them fireside chats. That's going to be Mondays. And then, Tuesdays for the date for the I don't I don't know um it'll I think it'll just that'll be whatever and then the evening streams will always be gameplay focused unless we have a guest or something so I think Monday will be flexible for like the discussion thing as far as like usually it'll be at the, the the early show will be the talk unless we have a guest lined up and then that may be in the evening depending upon their availability I think that'll work out great and then on Fridays we'll have these these metal discussions. That way, you guys have a better idea of what to expect, when to be here, if you want to you know, participate in that sort of thing. And in almost every case, there will be gameplay followed up after a discussion. Today certainly being no exception, um, though it may be short in the sense that Bennett Fiasco is having this rambling gaming weekend, and um, he really wants to play some Destiny with me. I haven't touched Destiny in weeks, and I thought, well, I believe it's in the evening is when he's available to do that, so we may throw the old stream on so you guys can hear some old school fire team shenanigans as we uh, 
play PvP and do random other things and whatnot. It'll be nice. It'll be fun. We'll see. Because I'm, I'm trying to provide structure to the show without being confining and putting pressure on myself to create content where there is none, you know? Um, Adam says, I'm here if I see you live. Somehow I didn't get to see you. Jimmy says, Garfield, all the watch. Okay, I got you. I mean, it happens, dude. And, you know, and, and sometimes it's a bit sporadic around here. It's not too bad. Once in a while, I'll be like, ah. So, like, uh, Tuesday, I ended up streaming late because I was just not with it at all. Um, when the, and that mood kind of spilled over into Wednesday. Which is why I took the mental health day. But that's the thing, man. You gotta, you gotta be able to say when too much is too much. And I was definitely, I just wasn't able to deal. So I just said, nah, I need to just take a day and kind of reset myself. So that's exactly what I fucking did. It will never not weird me out. They call this white cherry. It doesn't look like anything you should be putting in your body. It just looks like looks like filthy water. And it is filthy. With awesome with awesomeness. Yeah, cloudy water, sure. But I decided I wanted a different flavor. Here's something some of you will appreciate. Yesterday, for the first time since well before Christmas, I bought a six pack of beer. I only drank half of it in the first sitting. Normally, when I get a six-pack, that six-pack's going to be gone. Last night, didn't happen. Didn't happen. Who <laughs> thought Drill some alien movie? Yeah, it's not thick enough for that. That's KY Jelly. That's a whole other discussion. Whole other discussion, dude. But yeah, I only had three beers out of it, and I drew, drew it out over, like, couple hours which is very odd for me but you know not a thing wrong with it either way but I found it very interesting so I, I was like okay you know and uh, I'm glad that I did that I'm just, I had a good night you know there are some nights where you just want to and some nights where you don't want to do that and I was I didn't make a conscious effort either way. I bought the same amount of beer I always buy. And technically less, because normally I'll buy a six-pack of, like, 16-ounce talls. Well, I bought a six-pack of bottles, which are 12 ounces. So, not only did I drink half the six-pack, but each beer was less. So, if you do the math, so there's four ounces missing from each of those beers. You put that times three. It's, three, it's like a whole beer less than half of uh, the other one. So, if I drank half of a... Uh, 16-ounce six-pack and ha or half of a 12-ounce six-pack, the 16-ounce uh, six-pack is like drinking four regular beers. I only had three. And here's the real kicker. It had, it had less alcohol content in it, too. Normally, I drink a 5.9, which is like a 4.4. Four. So it was like very interesting, very interesting Mr. Anderson kind of moment. Exactly. I ah, exactly. Um, so I, I, I just, 
when I, went to, I went to bed and I realized, oh, man, okay, whatever. It was, it wasn't a huge deal, but I felt it was noteworthy for myself because I had a, a flip, a switch had flipped in the old brain. Now, whether or not that stays, I don't know. I was like, I don't know you and your American system. It's true. They call it imperial, but, and granted, that's pretty American, but, you know, you, 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 you know. So, lowered alcohol intake, mental health days, and scheduling brouhaha aside. Today, we are talking about the next episode of The Grindhead's Guide to Metal. And there were some things I was talking to JT Corpse last night and during his stream, which is getting really good, by the way. You need to check him out. Um, about the fact that I forgot to mention the Transformers, the movie soundtrack, and my how I got in the metal. Like, that was a huge part of it, really. Because uh, in 87, the same year I was introduced to, um, like, Napalm at the end, like, right smack in the middle of the summer, the Transformers soundtrack came out. And it was like this blend of synth wave and the the score had a lot of synth in it but the bands ha- were like was deliciously like unabashed kind of hair metal but still kind of raw like they still had some bite to them and it was like this nice place where everything i loved about music came into one thing the first animated transformers film is my favorite film ever and the soundtrack's a big part of that. Um, oh, it's so good, Troy. It's so good. And it, it was one of these things where, like, everything just kind of was like the eye of the storm for me, right? And ever since then, like, you, you can kind of look at all the different things that are in that soundtrack and kind of trace where all my musical love would go. Like, to this day, I love a good synth pop or synth wave, you know, good synthesizer, rock driven song like gunship and uh the midnight and uh dance the dead you know there's a bunch of bands that did that you know and tears for fears which i was already listening to a lot at the time that just kind of fit right in there and queen fits right in there and so on and so forth and i, I feel like i had a discussion with people and and troy's heard me say this drunkenly like probably three dozen times at this point in our friendship, but songs from the big chair. Tears for Fierce's album. Oh, I'm getting to that, Troy. Songs from the big chair, Tears for Fears album. I think it was their second or third album, but is their most popular, inarguably. It is one of the most finely crafted death metal albums ever recorded. It just happens to be recorded with synthesizers. If you listen to the rhythms and the intensity and the delivery, it's very aggressive. It's very rhythmic. There's a lot of emotion there. And if you took those same notes and put them on death metal guitars and black metal guitars and changed the vocals and, you know, changed the drum beats just a little bit, basically the, the bass structure of the song remained the same, those would be fucking metal songs. And I feel like you can do the same thing with metal songs and turn them into synthwave. I mean, that's been done over and over and over and over <laughs> and proven over and over and over. So I feel like there's these two very disparate schools of thought when it comes to music that really, really blend together 
far more than either side is willing to admit most of the time. Uh, occasionally, you'll get a band like Gunship or um, Dance the Dead that just don't care. It's like, we want all of it. We just make it happen. Um, and certainly, those two thought processes go into something called industrial, which is not nearly as prevalent as it once was. Um, you know, Nine Inch Nails being the most notable example of it, which, who were very, very metal in the beginning. And, or Ministry, or uh, Misery Loves Company, uh, Bile, KMFDM, and then, you know, there's bands that go on and on and on and on. You know, Rammstein would be an example, I think, on some level, where they combine, like, the more mechanized aspects of the synth movement and just shove metal into it and vice versa, right? So I think that's a big connection that I'd like to talk about today. Like, think about that. You know, metal and, and synth kind of existed on their own in the 80s and they slowly came together, formed something called industrial, which kind of broke off. And now we're back to having like true metal and synth wave again. It's a whole thing. It's crazy. And, but they're all like, equally valid, passionate forms of music, which I think is interesting. I, th I really dig it. And there's, for those of you listening live, there's Tears for Fears right there. This is an amazing example of what I'm talking about. So, to kind of roll back to the beginning of the conversation, Troy had mentioned that Weird Al fits in there too. Absolutely, because he's there on that album. It, it was a song that came off of one of his other records. Uh, Dare to be stupid, but it was in the movie. It was on the soundtrack for Transformers, and it uh, he he's his own thing. You know, he's he'll do parodies. He'll do like genre parodies. He'll do like direct song parodies and stuff. And Dare to be stupid was kind of like this Devo thing, but it wasn't Devo. And you know, he's a brilliant musician in his own right. And but it was silly. It was goofy. And the thing is, I always had a thing after that for something that has a little bit of goof to it. Whether it's... All praise be to Gratzilla. Welcome to the disciples. All praise be to Gratzilla. Welcome Bike. to the disciples. He's a nice conversation. Don't mean to interrupt, but... 14 months. Just Bicycle of death just dropping it. Like it's hot. Because it is hot. Hot that he's here. And he's pretty hot. There's no question about that. Not watching Bicycle Death, you're doing Twitch wrong. It's a fact. Fact. The fucking fact. Oh, here's something. I wonder if I can turn this on now. Let me see. Okay. I am currently running captions through OBS. Now, what I've been told, supposedly, is that it taps into the captions system in Twitch itself. I don't know how true that is. So those of you watching Twitch right now, oh, it is working. It is working. That's weird. So if you look at the, the options menu below, you'll see that um, there are captions going there uh, on the screen, and you can kind of mess with them however you want. Now, you can't mess with the, the setting, the, the placement or anything. But it is something that uh, should be pretty cool. I, I will say that those captions are a lot slower 
and they are probably a lot less accurate. But it is something you can turn off if you want to. So I want to leave them on for the foreseeable future. And if I start to see them get better in some way, you know, I'll, uh, I'll eventually turn off the other captions. But I think the entire reason that the, the web captions exist is because, one, it's a better engine, and two, um, you have a lot more freedom with it. So I, I wanted to bring that up before I forgot. I wanted to see if I could do it. And it's, it is totally working, which is really cool. I did not think that was going to happen. I thought it was never going to work. So what we probably need to do, since we now know they work, we probably get, need to get the web caption folks with the OBS folks and have them just inject the engine that they're using and the settings that they're using right into OBS and then pipe that up to the Twitch caption system. That would be an amazing thing. That would be an amazing thing because then you could turn the captions on and off at will. That'd be the and it'd be it. It'd be so good. Sorry. Tangent. Their thing. We met me before. What we're doing. So with Weird Al, like he kind of informed that silly sensibility, but was still serious music. Whether we're talking about Stormtroopers of Death, MOD, um, Guar, X Cops, um, Fucking, the list goes on. There's a lot of silly metal out there, a lot of silly bands out there, you know. And certainly, there's an entire genre of just silly ass bands on YouTube, you know. Um, and I still appreciate all that stuff. So, go figure. But you can trace it all back to that album, you know. Despite me having some roots in Metallica and having some roots in like or later that year, like grindcore and stuff. It always comes back to the that blending of genre on the Transformers, the movie soundtrack. That just it was like this catalyst that set everything off. You know, it's like Metallica's over here, Tears of Fears is over here, hip hop's over there somewhere, and it just kind of all. So that's kind of like my if I have a musical core, if I have a musical heart, so to speak, it's that album. And I don't know if, I don't know if anybody else I've ever met can really trace back to that, to one record that kind of like set them off in all directions. And the reason that I say that is that most people that are into metal that I know, that are like really into it, tend, and this is a very blanket general statement, many of my close friends do not fit into this, but they tend to be so into metal that they ignore the stuff to the point of folly. Like, I still dig a good hip-hop song. Old-school hip-hop, mind you. I don't like the new stuff at all. Uh, I still love a good 80s pop song. I still love a good synthwave song. I still love... I'll even dig a, a, a good country song. Those are few and far between for me. Um, but I love Johnny Cash. Um, I love a good score. And I don't mean Hans Zimmer. I'm like, fuck that guy. Sorry. One-trick pony. Even Danny Elfman has gotten to a point where he's not really putting out anything that's interesting. I would argue he hasn't put out anything remotely interesting musically since Nightmare Before Christmas or Mars Attacks. Those are the last two things he did where I was like, okay, cool. As soon as they tapped him for, for Spider-Man, it was like everything got generic, like super generic, and I was like, I don't care anymore. 
There's old themes you could pick out. Now it's just like, well, it's definitely Danny Elfman, but I don't care. Same with John Williams to a point. Uh, probably, probably after uh, Jurassic Park, really. I mean, there's some cool stuff in the Star Wars uh, soundtracks and the scores and so forth, but I don't know that... I don't know that he ever really kind of came back from... And, and to be fair, you're essentially writing the, the same genre pieces over and over and over again. There's, although you've got way more textures to mess with, when you've been doing something for 30 years in a certain way, it, it can be difficult creatively to kind of turn it and, and, and make it different. Which is why I'm, I'm always so fascinated by this dichotomy in music where you, know, you got bass, guitar, drums, and vocals, and you get the same four or five guys in a room or even some rotating dudes, and you could make things that sound the same year over year, but still breathe something fresh into it. Yet you get a guy like John Williams who has you know, fucking 18 to 120-piece orchestras, and he's working with visually different material each time. And although he's got a signature stamp, you can know it's John Williams, but sometimes it sounds too samey, and I don't, I don't understand how that happens at all. I don't get that. You would think that this one dude could manipulate whatever he wants whenever he wants. But then I would go back to the whole, the whole band thing. JT Corpse bit cockying me with my own bit cocky. Give him a shout out. He had a Hornet Norskin on his stream last night. It was very disruptive, but highly entertaining. My man. JT, we were just talking about how it's interesting that bands of four or five people with just bass, drums, guitar, and vocals can make something that, that is undeniably stylistically um, similar to what a band has done but can be, bring something new each time versus a guy like John Williams or Danny Elfman who at a certain point, even though they have 120-piece orchestras in front of them, they have different visual medium to work with each time. But after a certain period of time, they just get really samey and not for the better. Whereas, like, in some rock and metal circles, if you put out basically the same record every year, people would be happy. But it's this weird... I don't understand how that works. And we're talking about the synth-wave, synth-pop connection, which I all traced back to Transformers, the movie soundtrack from 1987. If you look at everything on that record, you can go, that's where Jim got this, that's where Jim got this, that's where Jim got this. It's true, it's true. And it's bit. Cocky. B-I-T. <laughs> Troy says, Personally speaking, the NES was a huge influence on me in blending of genres. Contra, Mega Man, and the TMNT2 soundtracks were 100% metal and chiptune synth form and are partially responsible for where I am today. Yeah. That's the thing. If you know anything about Troy, like, that's 100% true. Like, he almost doesn't have to tell you that for you to understand it. Like, it's just, oh, well, there, that's it. What is in my eye, dude? Oh, there's a cat here in my glasses, and it's like this huge, gigantic tree limb in my field of vision has been bothering me. Fuck. 
Well, thank you. I'm, I'm glad you feel I have a point. Still don't like Harmony Corruption very much, but I guess, yes, I'm glad we can agree. <laughs> oh, I just, I just like twisted the knife a little bit. Like, mm, mm, mm. Sorry, I'm a jerk. It's fine. It's fine. And now we got like. This is a good illustration, too. We're listening to John Mayer live. I love John Mayer. Like, I have, I have a thing against the dude. I think he's a great musician. I think he's got a good voice. They're good tunes. You know? Like, for me, it's like a slightly less pretentious Don Henley. And I like him better than Don Henley. The boys of summer. I don't give a shit about that. Hey, nobody's perfect. <laughs> But John Mayer's good, man. And I've caught some shit in this stream for liking John Mayer. People are like, oh, you like this shit. I'm like, how do you not like it? You know? But that's the thing. It's personal taste, right? You know, I'm wearing a Deeds of Flesh shirt and a Napalm Death hat, which is all like, Bleh. But I love this. I like, I like the first Shakira record. Shoot me. You know? What? Fuck you. I don't care. Good music's good music. Now, granted, most of the time, given the choice, I will reach out for some brutal, brutal metal most of the time. That's, that's something I, I'm always, mood-wise, ready to do. But I have all this other stuff in my repertoire that I can just pull out in moments notice and be happy. But I just don't reach out for it. It's weird. Okay. Poor me. I seldom sit down... Um, and listen to any hip hop anymore. But I love hip hop. Farron listens to hip hop, and anytime she puts it on, I'm like, all right, cool. And the kind of hip hop she likes appeals to me, you know. And even though she may, may not reach out to listen to brutal metal, most of the stuff I listen to, she's like, okay, this is good. It's an interesting crossover of interests, which I really dig. Um, so that we can both be exposed to stuff without having to like. It, it's it never gets to that point where it's like, ugh. It, to me, at least, it never has. I've never seen her roll her eyes. I've never rolled my eyes at her. JT says, I don't know anything about Mayer other than what he did on the Chappelle show. Okay. I mean, that's, that's kind of... Like, I listened to him when this album came out in, like, 2001, 2002. And I, I got it. I liked it. And then I just kind of kept up with it. And, when he, and the thing is, he's um, kind of like... It's kind of like Dave Matthews for people that aren't full of their own shit. What it is. So it's, 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 it's John Mayer is Dave Matthews for people that go to work and actually pay their bills and shit. And, but he's also a really prolific guitar player. Like he does blues. He, he did a show where he did an acoustic set. He did an all blues set and did his normal stuff like what you just heard. And it was like, it's pretty cool. Like, I dug that. I dug the idea that he was able to embrace all those different genres and pull them off convincingly, I might add. These weren't, these weren't just hack versions of stuff. Like, I've known some pretty hardcore blues musicians, and I was like, what do you think of this? And they're like, guy's good. You know, like, he really, like, you can tell when someone's playing something because they like it versus playing something because they feel it. 
you know, and there's a lot of musicians out there, myself included, who have been dropped into a, a project that, um, that they like it, they're enthusiastic about it, but it's not who they are. And if you look, compare it to other stuff they've done, maybe it's not as intense or as connective as other stuff they've done. You know, like anytime you listen to me play black metal, like I'm, I'm good at it. I like black metal, but it doesn't, I can't swing in it in a certain way. Like it, it's, I love it and I'm good at it and it's fun, but it's not the same as giving me a good solid meaty, like a death grind or a grindcore kind of vibe. For some reason, I don't, you can tell it's not my favorite thing, in my opinion. And I know there's guitar players out there that, that fall into that category and stuff. It's interesting. Troy says, Fallout Boy had John Mayer do the Van Halen solo on their cover of Beat It. I gained a lot of respect for Mayer as a guitarist after that. I didn't know that happened. That's pretty cool. Like, see, that gives you an idea of his range. Acoustic, blues, you know, guitar-driven rock. And Van Halen solos, apparently. It's like, Jesus. What else is that guy doing? Crazy. Crazy. But. But that's the thing. Like, a John Mayer song can stand right up to a Dying Fetus song. And I think they're both musically valid, and I dig them both. And I don't really know what that says about me. Except that I came from a very musically diverse background. I happen to like one thing more than anything else. One of the only people that are doing music these days that I can point to and say, I think that guy had a similar upbringing to me, is Hank Williams III. Okay? Grew up in a country household. Dad and grandpa. Great country musicians. He's also a country musician, but he's also a metal dude. He was in uh, Super Joint Ritual for a long time. And you can just tell the dude listens to all kinds of shit. It's, it's evident. It's, it's obvious. I think, you know, we need more people like that. There needs to be less, like, I'm, I'm this. Like, who cares? You're you. You know, I'm not Deeds of Flesh. I'm not Napalm Death. I am not death metal. I'm Jim. I'm Granite Jim. That's who I am. And whatever form that takes is valid. You know, and I think that's the main reason I brought up this subject in the first place is that there's this there's a what's the word I'm looking for? There's a certain kind of movement that has always existed which seeks to separate and lift and push down different interests and in arts musically for the sake of your own mental capacity. Like I, I speak of course of the word poser. <laughs> poser. Got thrown around a lot, especially by Exodus and a lot of the, the, the Bay Area bands. They would go to like, you know, hair metal shows and beat up these guys and poser, you white leather jacket motherfucker and started beating them up. And it's like, well, stylistically they're different than you they're not trying to be you they're trying to be them I never understood that not really like if poison wants to be poison 
Like, no one will ever accuse Poison of being Metallica. Ever. And vice versa, and rightfully so. Visually, and artistically, and audibly, not even close. Especially in their heyday. Like, when Poison was getting really big in the late 80s, when Metallica was getting really big in the late 80s, like, don't need nothing but a good time, versus... I mean, come on. Like, that's totally different. Totally different. Like, that's... But yet, there was this kind of threatened... That's not metal. You're a poser. And I don't... I don't dig that, man. I don't. I never did. You know, and then black metal had true, but spelled the with the U as a V. True black metal, death, death, cult. Like, give me a break. Come on. Like, if you write good music, you don't need to record it on grandma's tape deck for me to appreciate its artistic integrity. Spend 50 bucks and go into a studio. You know what I mean? Like, give me a break, dude. Like, I'll never understand that shit where you intentionally like shit all over your music for the hope of some sort of artistic integrity or validity. I'll never ever understand that. And I, I struggle. There are some bands I want to sound super dirty because that style definitely does lean, lean itself to it. Black metal is not one of them um, to a certain degree. Uh, but there's other things I really want to be super clear. And I can appreciate a little bit of everything. You know, whereas you got like an Anathrak where um, the production is undeniably clear, but the, each tone can be dirtied up. So like the guitar has some really dirty vibes to it. The vocals have a lot of distortion in them. The drums are clean and crisp, but it's like the way it's mixed together, the way it's mastered, it's a little bit of equal parts of clean and, and dirty. And um, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, there's no blueprint that says if you play this style of music, you have to have this. People will try to tell you that there is, but there isn't. There isn't. You don't have to use an HM2 with everything turned all the way up to be death metal. It helps, <laughs> but you don't have to. You know, you, you don't have to sound like a vomited up cassette tape from the, you know, 70s to, to be black metal. You don't need to sound like a Fisher Price keyboard to be pop. Like, that, that, none of that is true. There's been plenty of bands that are undeniably top 40 pop that sound nothing like what you would consider pop to be. Uh, JT says, hated glam and hair metal back in the day, had that same elitist attitude, now I enjoy it all. It might just be developing a sense of self and your youth identifying with the scene so much it becomes a lifestyle. And whenever that lifestyle is intruded upon as a sense of loyalty to defend it, yeah, I get that. And, you know, um, Seba Lee brings up a great point. Pantera used to be glam. I would argue that they were more of a, a Van Halen clone, um, which I would not consider glam, though it has glam visual elements to it. Uh, you know, Pantera started off as very 80s rock, but they had a lot of thrash elements in there. I think they struggled with a style. I think they struggled with an identity. And then by the end of the 80s, they were like, why are we wearing all this crazy crap on stage? 
and <laughs> thrash almonds. There you go. Yeah, those captions are awesome, dude. And I feel like, you know, they, I, I, I honestly believe that their evolution was fairly natural um, in as much as I think Phil, when they started writing with Phil, Phil was able to say, okay, look, I love this stuff we're doing, but I think we can do something more with the talent in this band and kind of, right, Daryl kind of went, Daryl and Phil probably had a night, and then they talked to Vinny about it and talked to Rex about it. They're like, yeah, we can try that. And they started, because if you look, look at like what they were writing in the late 80s before Cowboys from Hell was written, and then you look at Cowboys from Hell, and then you look at Vulgar Display, it just fucking, it's a natural progression. It's a natural progression. Whereas, had they gone from, you know, Breaking the Night or whatever it's called, to, um, you know, Far Beyond Driven or, you know, Great Southern Trend Kill, it's like, fuck. But JT, I want to come back to your point, you know, that whole loyalty to your genre, like, I get that, and I think that that, that comes from, uh... I, I think it's it's dead on in, in as much as we talked about that in the last episode where it was like, this, this is, these are my people. And you feel like you don't want to be associated with something that you don't identify with. So when someone says, well, poison is metal. No, it's not. This is metal. I am metal. And I do, I do think it's a, it's an emotional immaturity thing. Absolutely. But there are some people that never grew out of that. I'm sure you know a few people in your personal and professional life that never grew out of that, you know? And I know I do. And it's just, at some point, you're like, fucking Jesus Christ, like, how much, how many calories do you burn all day carrying all that baggage around? Like, good music is good music. Like, just fucking stop worrying about your dick and just listen to music. That's what a lot of it boils down to. It's like, what? What do you mean my dick's small? Like, that's really, any argument anyone from, like, 13 to like 30 has usually can be traced back to a concern that there's a perception that their dick might be small. You can dispute me if you want to, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. If you're a guy, that is. If you're a guy. Females and any other gender identifiers probably don't feel that way. You know, because if they do own a dick, they're just like, look at this. <laughs> Here it is. You can look at it and put it away. Or not. Or they don't care, which is the, probably the right move. Not caring. Doesn't matter. I was watching, uh, I did start watching The Kind of Western Civilization Part 2, The Metal Years. I almost got to the end of it and I got tired. Um, and who was that said it? Uh, it's not, it wasn't Lemmy, he, although he was in it. Oh, it was David Stane. He said, not how big your pencil is, is how you write your name. And I was like, and I'd heard him say that a bunch of times. I've seen that movie a bunch of times. But geez, I, think about that. It's not how big your pencil is, it's how you sign your name. Guy's got a fucking point. And he had just gotten clean after that, so 
No, it wasn't the drugs talking. You know? Or at least he was clean at the time. You could tell he was all right. You know, because you can tell when Dave Mustaine's off his shit. Like, he's like, rock the vote. You know? <laughs> but as we are wont to do here, I have digressed a bit. You know? So. I don't have a script for these things. I don't have an outline. Nothing. I just go, here's what I want to talk about, and I want to start talking. Because every time I've ever tried to have a scripted conversation, it goes off the rails. Which is fine. Nothing wrong with that. Because I'd rather it be real and live and human and have you guys interject so we can just have that flexibility to kind of go around and do our thing. Do our thing. You know? This is Life of Agony. Um, They are coming out with a new record this year. And it's basically, it's another story. They're one of their first content records since their first one. And at the end of River Runs Red, the kid slices his wrist. His mom discovers him, and you are left to believe that the kid's dead. Well, the concept for this new record apparently is, what if he lived? What if that person lived? And I'm like, on one hand, I'm like, that's a really cool concept. I hope they can pull it off. On the other hand, I'm like, to me, that takes away from some of the bite of the message of that record. Um, although I would argue that the message of that record is pretty bleak. So, not such a bad thing, you know. Um, I don't know where I stand on that. If you guys have an opinion, let me know. I'm curious. Let me know. Let me know. I love Life of Agony. There's maybe one album they've done where I was like, really? And that was the third, third? Third one, Soul Searching Sun. It was like one good song on there, and the rest of it, I'm like, eh. And you could tell that Keith wanted to leave, so he did. And then when he went off and kind of explored you know, himself, came back, and also came out as transgendered, and is now Mina. I think the band's a lot better than it's ever been. Because there's a lot... You can tell there's just less issues. And what's interesting now, there's two women and two men in that band. And one of the women's the drummer. She's awesome. So I'm curious to see where it goes. I'm curious to see what this new record's gonna, gonna bring. Um, especially given they want to kind of explore these 25-year-old themes. Yeah, 25-year-old themes. And uh, it, it should be cool. And they, early on, had a lot of synth in their hardcore band. Which is like, what? Yes, they had synth in their hardcore, metalized, hardcore punk band. See, there was a reason I brought it up. Y'all thought I was being random. Y'all thought I was being random. Mm-mm. Nope. Synth in them thar hills. Yes. There's a lot of influence from, like, Depeche Mode and Tears for Fears um, in the early Life of Agony stuff. They were trying to set themselves apart, but still be hardcore. And no one messed with them. They were good. They're a bunch of art students that like punk. Not a, not a thing wrong with that at all. Nothing wrong with it at all. You know. And in death metal, you can't use synth unless it's for an intro that has nothing to do with anything. Unless you're Lost Soul, and then you're basically a black metal band that has death metal riffs in it. 
and low vocals. So basically, it's a death metal band with synth in it. And the first album, especially, had a lot of synthesizer in it. But it worked. They just started doing it. They're like, why can black metal bands do it? We can't. So they did it. It's really good. Second album, I would argue, is a bit better. Um, but Lost Soul, like, just came out of nowhere. Like, we're from Poland. We play brutal death metal, and we have a keyboard player. If you don't like that, we'll crush your skull. That was kind of their thing. You know, so there, there was this thing where people were just trying so hard to be unique. Some of them were trying things that shouldn't have worked, and it did. And yet there were others who were trying things that should have worked, but ultimately did not. Um, for me, the rap metal crossover, a really rough one to pull off. It's only a few that actually pulled it off with any degree of, of, of sanity or consistency. I say Stuck Mojo did a good job. Um, Early Korn had some hip-hop influence, but Korn was undeniably Korn. Um, Limp Biscuit. I... Mm-mm. That was a poorly put-together metal band that had a DJ and a guy who really wanted to be a hip-hop rapper but knew he'd get beat up. And they went for it. And they made a lot of money and wrote some decent songs, but ultimately that band was always too many things, too many cooks um, to really have a, a core that would, would last. I, I think that's, honestly, I think that's where Limp Bizkit failed, was its inability to have any sort of a, a core, a heart. And instead, they, they, instead of having a heart, they had a face, and that face was Fred Durst, and he's an asshole. So... Troy says, and then power metal came along, and everyone in the genre was like, fuck yeah, we use synths. Like, yeah, that's true. That's true. That's a whole other thing, man. You know? It's absolutely true, and it, it's valid. There's a ton of great bands that use synths. But, it, you know, people were like, I don't, we don't use synths, you know? And then you had, like, early death metal bands that were like, we don't use vocal synthesizers. Most notably, Cannibal Corpse. And like from the second DSide record on, you're like, we don't use any vocal effects, goddammit. I understand why that's going to, you know, because in the early days, it was difficult to believe that a human voice could naturally sound like this. And, you know, it was something that no one knew you could do in, in the mainstream. So when they heard that, they're like, what is this? This is insane. We have to be doing something with the tape or something. You know, and some people did. Not many, but some people did. Um, I always found it a bit suspect that the first Morbid Angel record had a really high register vocal. And then the second one and the third one, it was a low register. Now granted, Dave Vincent can actually do that with his voice. At least he could at the time, without question. Like, he clearly could do it um but to the layman you're like like how can you go from doing this to doing this you know or whatever <laughs> yeah a lot of guys thought that was the vocal tile i'm into death metal that's, that's not at all like next time gadget yeah that's different that's for another time you know 
next time. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, you know, but it's fun. I used to be able to do the cat. I can't do the cat anymore. I don't know why. People do, you know, or the fat hour voice, the, you know, the, <laughs> which some guys did use. Dave Ingram from Benediction. Look it up. Look up anything he did in Benediction. And I'm Fat Albert! I'm serious. I wish I was kidding. Every time I play certain things for people, they're like, what? And they thought that was passable? Yeah. What's weird about that particular connection, Dave Ingram and Benediction had been hired to replace Barney Greenway, who was then moving to Napalm Death. And his vocal style was a little bit different in Benediction. And they wanted Dave to sound close to what Barney was doing. And it ended up sounding like this. Which is pretty close, if you listen to the first record. Pretty close. Then, eventually, Dave leaves Benediction, joins Bolt Thrower. And he's got a death metal voice like this. And you're like, you mean he could do that the whole time? And they're making him do the Fat Albert voice? And you're like, what? Why would you willingly go for the Fat Albert voice when you could have had that? Like, why? 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 And then they get um, the cat, uh, Dave, that's in Anonathrak. He's in Benediction. Has been for years. And he does, like, a, somewhere in between a, a regular death metal voice and the Dave Ingram Fat Albert voice. Somewhere in the middle. And that sounds cool. And it's undeniably Benediction. Which is really why they're doing it. They want the vocals to sound different. And without a doubt, it did definitely sound different. <laughs> yeah! And you're like, okay. I love Benediction, man, but the vocals make me laugh. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> the dream you dread! Yeah! And you're like, alright, dude. Alright. You do you, bro. <laughs> what do you mean it sounds like Grover from Sesame Street Metal? I would do oh, kind of metal. That'd be Grover. I think he'd be a power metal guy. Near far. <laughs> Super Grover. <laughs> I can't believe I just fucking said that shit out loud. Uh, I'm not alone with your fair and so she's just like, I know she's at her computer going. What the fuck is he doing now? <sighs> Those of you who know me long enough, you know I've done Stranger Things for a laugh. JT knows that. Troy definitely knows that. Oh, this is a good song. This is a great song. But yeah. <laughs> there you go, guys. You got... The Transformers, the movie soundtrack, kind of 
diverges everything that I know and how it kind of informed my ideas about the genre and informed my ideas about what is and is not metal, what was valid, what wasn't valid, which ultimately turned into everything's valid. And although I might have hidden some of my tastes from some of my more passionate metalhead friends over the years, it got to a point in my 30s where I'm like, fuck you. I just showed everything. Like, I was telling JT last night, when we were on tour in the U.S., when I had my headphones on, all I was listening to was comedy records. I was listening to the Transformer soundtrack, movie scores, Johnny Cash, John Mayer, that kind of stuff. Tears for Fears. No, almost no metal at all. Because when you're doing metal, when you're living metal, you know, 24 hours a day for a month or more, you want to get away from it. So, like, I'd be sitting in, in the van, just sitting on the uncomfortable-ass cooler, watching Matt Harvey from Exhume Sleep. Yeah, that was a fun month. <laughs> you know, we, I think we got hotels, like, one, one night, the rest of it, if we did stop and sleep, it was like somebody's house. It was always a floor, never a bed, except for, I think, San Diego, I managed to get a bed, which is cool. But then, like, the next night, we stopped at a hotel, and everyone was sleeping, like, in the room. And because everyone was all, like, stretched out or whatever, a lot of us opted to, did we? Did we? And then the rest of us opted to sleep in the van because the van, you had more space to yourself to try and get some sleep. But you never really got a full night's sleep on that shit, um, which was always interesting. So I know we stopped in, like, L.A. There was a hotel. I don't think we got a hotel in Arizona, did we? Didn't we just go straight driving as far as we could and got a hotel? I don't remember. Like, the, the getting... From Arizona to San Antonio is a fucking blur, dude. Fucking blur. Um, like, I kind of remember a couple things. Kinda. And then we end up sleeping at, uh, at, uh, Hod's place. Uh, and then came back over to Austin and stuff. Yeah, but that wasn't a hotel, though. Ed's place in Pittsburgh was, was the shit, though. Um, and that's when my mom came up and gave me potato chips. <laughs> Incidentally, that was the last time I ever saw her in person. True, true story. Um, but that was a really good afternoon. It was really, really cool. Really cool. Um, and, uh, I'm trying to think where else we would have got to. All right, so, because we went from... We went from uh, Arizona to San Antonio. I know we slept. We had to have gotten a hotel in Arizona or something along the way. We didn't know anyone up there. Uh, you guys stayed at a hotel. And that's right. That's what it was. You guys stayed in a hotel in Arizona. We started driving. Yeah, yeah. We started driving. And we had the rotation going, um, which I was always jealous of. Um. 
and then we get to Texas, slept at Hod's place, went into Austin, played. Hod dropped off the tour in 102 degree heat and pitch black night at three in the morning. And we ended up having a place we could stay that night, which was nice. And we slept on the floors in that place, got up and went to uh, Kansas City. And then we went straight to Chicago from there. And you guys stayed with um, the Cyanide guys. And then I went home. And then we all met up with the gear and everything in Chicago. And off to Chicago, or off to Pittsburgh we went. In Pittsburgh we stayed at Ed's place. And then we started heading south. No, we went to New York after that. Yes, we were almost late for Almost too late for, yes. And we, that, I have video from that. Someone took video of me playing drums on one of the tunes, and, I was, and you could tell it was all energy. It was like, we're going to get through this. Uh, so then Pittsburgh to New York, and then down through, it was almost like we went, no, wait. It was Chicago, we went up to New York, and then came back down to Pittsburgh. And then from Pittsburgh down through, right? No, no, no. It was Pittsburgh, New York. No, Pittsburgh, Allentown, New York, and that long ass drive down to, um, not Arkansas. What would have been Arkansas? I think. Did we do? No, we did New Jersey. Because we did. We did Pittsburgh. We did Allentown in that order. And went up to do Chinatown, New York proper, and we came back down. And we did Indiana. And we went to Indianapolis from there. And then from there was going to be the ending of the thing in Texas, which those shows got canceled for whatever stupid-ass reason at the time. And we ended up just ending the tour in Indianapolis, which was a good place to end it on. A good show. It's fun. It was close enough to everyone's able to drive where they had to go. We just went. <laughs> we just left. It was cool. I enjoyed it. And that's how synth pop fits into metal. Jim's Tour Stories with JT Corp. <laughs> I love it. <laughs>